Hello everybody and welcome back to the first episode of the Visually Prepared Podcast and this is the first official collaboration of with HDR Radio. So without further ado, let's get into it. Alright, Brother Joshua, thank you. I am here with, I can say this, one of my favorite people in the world, um, Brother Rick Mayo. I've known Brother Mayo since uh, 2003, and I met him at No Limits, and since that day, it's just been a God thing, and uh, I've been doing uh, his conference in Spokane, Washington, um, probably one of the best conferences. I tell, and I tell everybody this, I, and I have no qualms about it. I said, if you don't get to Spokane and go to Summit, there's something wrong. Because it's one of the best conferences there is. Now, people say, oh, well, why is that, Brother Hoffer? I say, well, because the Holy Ghost moves. And it's always moved. And the things we've seen since 2004 from a little church with a telephone wire we went out on. Uh Okay? Across all the way to his office. Up to the balcony. And we had people listen all over the world. And since then, I've seen buildings another building I see another building I think God has just put us together for such a time as this because I've seen things that were and and I think Brother Mayo is going to probably explain this but the Northwest was a stronghold in Pentecost for a long time and in these last years you know we, he's had Cody Marks he has, he's had people preach incredible messages and just tap on the I would say tap on the, the glass of this thing. And one year, and it was just Brother Urshan's turn, and God broke it open. And we've never seen anything like that. And since that day, well, you can explain, Brother Mayo, about that, but I, I'm so excited because I see the future. And I've always seen you are not only a church planner, a man who has a vision for lost souls. And that's what it's all about. And you've seen a little church go into a medium church, to a bigger church, to a bigger church. And whatever God's going to do in these last days, I see it through Brother Mayo. And so, welcome to the program. Thank you. Amen. It is an honor to have you here, sir. Um, so, <clears throat> let's start with your upbringing. How did, uh, growing up, what was it like growing up? Well, I was, I was born in Oakland, California. Um, lived in the Bay Area for quite a few years as a child. Um, my dad got a job transfer when I was 12, 11 or 12, down to the San Joaquin Valley. And when we made that move to the San Joaquin Valley, that's when all the trouble started. Uh, anyway, just got involved with some things that I shouldn't have got involved in and dragged our family's name through the mud and um, ended up in the military. Um, my beginning of my senior year in high school, 
I got kicked out of high school and I went straight into the military. When I came out of the military, I already knew what I wanted to do and that was play guitar. And I just gave an enormous amount of time and energy when I should have been out getting an education or finding an apostolic church. Uh, I was throwing myself into the instrument and I don't know how good I got, but I put a lot of time into it and went from one band to another until I was, you know, playing with some locally in San Francisco, some pretty reputable um, musicians. And in two, in, no, I'm sorry, 1983, um, I was playing live with a band called Roadrunner. We were the third band um, in downtown San Francisco. Uh, there was a death metal band called Exodus that opened up the show. And a little known speed metal band called Metallica was the second band. And I was in the headlining act called Roadrunner. And um, at 11 o'clock at night when those curtains parted, there was a voice that spoke to me and simply said, is this all there is to this? Um, had it not been from a supernatural origin, I probably would have forgot it. We were all high. And we'd been doing snorting cocaine and drinking all afternoon. And um, If it had just been any other thing, I probably would have forgot about it. But it, it spoke to my spirit, and I never forgot that. Um, approximately a year after that I was invited to go to an apostolic church in South Sacramento it was just meeting in a commercial storefront and um, when I put my hand on the door to go in that commercial storefront that voice spoke to me again and said you're home And uh, that's, without going any further, that was just kind of my journey sure. in, a, in about five minutes. Yeah, wow. Um, how, did, how did the invitation come about? Did you know the person, or did they just... Yeah, they well, it was or? my brother. My, wow. my brother, Scott, um, had actually gone to a revival in Modesto, Brother Randy G. Key's church. And he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues got baptized in Jesus' name. And he was actually in Los Angeles. He was in that revival and then went to Los Angeles. I think it was for work. It was many, many years ago. Um, and he told me that God woke him up at 4 o'clock in the morning and told him, you need to go witness to your brother. So I hadn't seen him for quite a while. And uh, when he showed up at my doorstep um, I was living on the corner of Fulton and Hurley in Sacramento and the minute that I looked at him I could tell there was something different there was something different about him and so after he gave me his testimony um, it definitely got my interest going and I said well I want to go I want to check this out so that's how the, how the invitation started and what was your thought process going into the first service, um, other than the, the voice that spoke to you? 
Yeah. Um, I didn't really make the connection just yet between, you know, that voice that spoke to me in San Francisco and going to these churches. I actually, we actually visited two other churches. One was on 47th Avenue um, in Sacramento. The other one was in Roseville. I went to these churches. I didn't feel anything. I didn't sense anything. I just, it just, it was really kind of a negative because there was such a vast gap from where I was and my perception and where these churches were. Um, I was really pretty turned off, to be honest with you. You know, I had spirits hanging all over me and talking to me, and, and I basically, you know, lost interest at that point. My sister, that was the first one in my family to get saved. Wow. Um, she sent me a picture three, three weeks ago of her and the woman that witnessed to her. That was 45 years ago. Yeah, so she got the Holy Ghost. She got the Holy Ghost approximate, approximately 10 to 12 years before I did. Wow. Yeah. And so she was the one that told my brother Scott about it. My brother Scott was the one that came and told me about it. Well, I was, after that second visit, I said, I'm not interested. And my sister called me up and she said, um, there's another church in Sacramento. And I really think that you owe it to yourself to go check it out. And that was the Rock Church that was in uh, South Sacramento um, on... Uh, Oh my goodness, I can't. I got a mental block about the name of the street, but it was it was in a commercial storefront, and when I walked into that, of course I told you when I put my hand on the doorknob, that voice spoke to me. But it wasn't like an epiphany. It wasn't like you know just because these voices were talking to me that it was like I was connecting the dots about some great thing that was going to happen. Um, I was trying to take it, I was trying to process all of this. And, you know, I was on a lot of drugs, I'd been drinking very heavily for years. Um, and so when I walked into the Rock Church, it was a brand new world. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, in that service, what were, you, what were your... What were you, what was it like for that for you in that first service initially? You know, it was a, it was a genuine apostolic church. They worshipped, they the preaching of the word of God was powerful. Um, like I said, I was really in process mode, mm -hmm. and sometimes I think that when people come to visit our churches, that because we know we're on the we're on the other side of this experience, sometimes we forget. Um, that people are in process mode and I was I was trying to process all of this and I had no reference point for reality sure I had no reference point for purity I had no reference point for for the kingdom of God I had none of that and um, but one thing that absolutely impacted me was the sincerity and the genuine the genuine love that I felt from the people, it was it was real. Wow, it was very real, and it came through. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
and I think that's important. Um, even today, when you have people who come in who are not familiar with the Apostolic Church, you have to be genuine. Um, and yeah. it's always important to be kind to someone, and uh, no matter who it is, because you don't know what they're dealing with. Um, but who who have guided you through you know your walk with God when you from the point that you started coming to service to you know to your calling and just who who helped you yeah understand yeah. and I definitely had a bridge and my bridge is my brother-in-law uh, Pastor Paul Bertram um, at the time he was the youth pastor of the church just just a good guy sitting on the platform and I was you know coming to the church some drug infested you know so we didn't know each other I he was I just had never I just had never come in contact with people that were that pure yeah. you know I just I just didn't know that there were people like that that even existed and he was so gentle natured um, just immediately befriended me which I needed because I, even after I got the Holy Ghost, specifically after I got the Holy Ghost, I needed a human bridge to transition myself from, okay, I have, as a newborn babe, I have life, mm -hmm. you know, dynamic life, but I don't have direction. Yeah. And I'm operating like um, a blind man in a dark room. I, 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 didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know anything. So there were people, uh, Brother Paul Bertram was absolutely, him and his precious wife were an incredible bridge to me. But that entire church was made up of people that um, were very genuine. And there's something about the human spirit, whether you can understand people's language the nationality, wherever you're yeah. from in the world, there's something about the human spirit that can pick up on sincerity. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask something as far as, because my conversion is a lot like yours was, which is, it's just how God does yeah. things. But when, when was that time, Brother Mayo, that you knew, A, this was a true religion, and B, if, and for me it was a little different, but I'm, I'm just saying as far as um, the alcohol, the drugs, like God took that all away. It wasn't an AA program. And I was like, okay, this is weird to me. I was like, the cravings are going away and I didn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I kind of want to hear how, yeah. how that happened for you. Kinda. You know, when I got baptized, <clears throat> um, I didn't get the Holy Ghost when I got baptized. I was still working through a lot of, um, had a lot of walls up. But I received the Holy Ghost approximately two to three weeks after I was baptized. And um, I haven't smoked a cigarette since. Thank you, Jesus. I have not used profanity since. I have not smoked dope, done hard drugs. Thank you, Lord. Since. Um, that happened to me as well and I think what happens is is that it's not it's not that God takes it away Yeah, it's that we get a new nature yeah. 
And that new nature supersedes the appetites and the cravings right. that were at that level. Now, there were other things that I had to work through. In fact, I'll be preaching on some of that tonight. Yeah. There were some things that I had to work through by which those surface things were attached. And that took time for me to work through. Yeah. But the initial things like drugs and profanity and, you know, I got a haircut and <laughs> got a job and, um, you know, became a saint. Right. Yeah. But, but the Holy Ghost absolutely was, the experience was so real. I was so in awe of it that as, as wild as I was for heavy metal, and the lifestyle and the fashionability and the cosmetic appeal of it all, I absolutely turned that around and yeah. balanced it out in God's favor. Wow. That's awesome. And I was just, I just absorbed everything I could. But make no, date, make no doubt about it, there are deeper things because of how human beings learn, the things that impact us, the effect that experiences have upon us, um, the fact that there are evil agencies that are against the human race that attach themselves to these um, to these things in a person's life. These are all situations that have to be worked through, um, and God helps us. Yeah. And the Word of God is our blueprint, so yeah. it's absolutely doable. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely doable. Yeah. But I think that the momentum, um, if I could just stop for one second and say this, this is why at home I am very, very upfront with the congregation that, you know, we're not, we're not going to try to fabricate or sensationalize what only God can do. But we are going to pray and worship and create a dynamic, supernatural environment that when people come into that, that supernatural environment is, is already providing for them what reality should be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if you, if you go into, um, and I'm, <laughs> I don't mean to put a saddle on the show and ride it, but yeah. I'm, 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 really, I'm really gung-ho on this because... Um, you cannot walk into a dead apostolic church right. and expect to affect a guy that has been um, shooting drugs, sure. doing drive-bys, involved with all kinds of spiritual activity. Not going to happen. When the church creates a spiritual dynamic, when that when that foreign entity comes into that, those spirits already know. They're put on high alert that something can happen. When I was sitting, my very first day that I ever went to the Rock Church, there were spirits talking to me. Wow. I will never forget that as long as I live. Where, when the hope, when the, I don't know whether it was an angel or the Spirit of God that spoke to me, but it, it, it resonated in a deeper place. When demons were talking to me, it was into my head. Yeah. And so creating an ap a genuine 
apostolic environment. You can't be ashamed if the mayor shows up. You can't be afraid if your next door neighbor shows up. You can't be ashamed if a millionaire is sitting out there. You have to comprehend that what we are doing is, is we are furnishing for something. They don't know what they're looking for. It's like Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, shall a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He was operating on on where he was. Mm, what okay. he understood. Yeah. Mm. He had no comprehension of the kingdom. But that didn't stop Jesus sharing with him that this is what you need to do. Right. That's good. Yeah. Wow. So the Rock Church had that revelation. Uh Bishop Nathaniel Wilson had that revelation. So when I walked in, that that environment had already been set in motion that I could experience everything that God had for me. What a question also comes up because, like I said, I sat through many of services before I got into a Pentecostal church like yourself, and you felt nothing. Yeah, and it was like the human in us going, "I got to feel something." Yeah, why is that? And you talked about it. Obviously, that you have to make the atmosphere. Um, <coughs> these churches that you walk into, dead as doornails. Yeah, and you don't feel anything, and you're going, "Why aren't these people?" You well, know, I you don't know. think I don't think that you can supersede the blueprint of the Book of Acts. In in Acts chapter number two, the church is in a prayer meeting. Yeah. The Spirit of God moves. It moves outside of the upper room, and now that environment is now on cobblestone streets in Jerusalem. Yeah. And people are now saying, what meaneth this? <laughs> right. So then a preacher preaches, and as many as gladly received his word were baptized. Yeah. Then they continued steadfastly. That's the afterglow. So the church has to take the responsibility and the initiative to prepare that environment yeah. if anything else is ever going to happen. Right. You cannot expect somebody that has got compulsive addictions. Some of them can be extremely unclean and impure, but nonetheless, that's where, our, that's where the human race is. You can't expect him to trade a church that is dead, dry, and boring for a shot of dopamine. Right. If he clicks his computer on. Right. You're not going to, that's not going to resonate. But if you, if you place that same person in an environment where the love of God is just, and the love of the people, it's resonating through, it's coming vertically and it's coming horizontally. It's coming from God vertically. It's coming from, through the people horizontally. That guy's not going to get away. Yeah. Yeah. There is no escape. The human spirit cannot resist the baptism of reality. Amen. It's true. Wow. It's good. <laughs> so good. You can get you can get a guy, bring him in from <laughs> San Quentin on death row. You can bring a guy from the barrio. You can bring a guy from, um, you know, from downtown Compton that's just got done doing a drive-by, and you can bring him into an apostolic service where the atmosphere has completely been cleared of all human taint and all unclean spirits. And the people of God start from scratch with a prayer meeting. Right. And before it's all over, it's time for revival. Amen. Wow. And the guy that just walked in is now in the altar. Yeah. yeah. 
that is a supernatural phenomenon. It cannot be replicated and duplicated through human means. It is a supernatural enablement put within the grasp of the church. And the churches that don't understand the blueprint of Acts chapter 2. You know, we've got... You know, we've got I've got a big screen in in our church, and I've got lights, and I've got all this that we don't even turn that thing on, man, until the prayer's going on. You know what I'm saying? You, nothing is going to supersede pre-service prayer. Yeah, amen. Because if you don't have that, you don't have the sequence of events. If a person does not go to the prayer room, but they're trying to get on board in the worship, they're taking all their flesh with them. Yep. And now they're trying to do what should have been done in a prayer room. Now they're trying to do it in the praise service. And if they don't get a breakthrough in the praise service, now they're just adding to the that the weights and the barriers of putting it on the man of God yep. that he's got a breakthrough. So if we'll take care of our flesh and make the adjustments in the prayer room. That's so good. That's good. Wow. We we'll have to use that. <laughs> right. That's good. So right before you go yeah. I mean it, it, it circumcedes everything else I've even heard of I've even heard of some so-called apostolic churches telling their congregation do not speak in tongues during the service because it's scaring the visitors well what you're doing is is you're allowing the visitor to control what you are your identity right and your responsibility my responsibility to that visitor is to create the atmosphere Amen. So talk to us about, I want to know when, okay, so how, how many years are you in the church before you get to the point of being called to the ministry? Yeah, I still have my very, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I still have my very first Bible that was given to me by a guy that was in the Rock Church that now is pastoring in Washington, Brother Steve Malone, I want to give him a shout out. He gave me my very first Bible. I still have it to this day. I don't I don't even read it. It's just like a sacred right. you know, sacred artifact. But in February of nineteen eighty seven, I was in a prayer meeting in my apartment and I felt like God spoke to me. And I wrote it on the inside of the cover of that Bible. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Yeah, God speaks. Yeah. If you're listening out there, let me encourage you to develop a prayer life. God will speak to you. God will encourage you. God will embolden you to do things that you never dreamed that you would be a part of something like this. Amen. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So it was February of 87 that God called me into the ministry. And it was a long time before anything happened. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) You're under Bishop Nathaniel Wilson. You know, right. You're not going to be no hanky panky. You know. uh, I just, I just live for God. I just allowed God to. I'm not saying I was perfect. I definitely had some things I had to work through. I had so much 
inner inner baggage and I had a lot of woundedness that I wasn't even I wasn't even aware of how how messed up of a person I was we think okay well you know we got the drugs and we got the alcohol and that's that's all part of it right but they're all trying to meet the need of deeper issues like rejection and shame and fear and just a host of other things that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, and God systematically was processing me. Yeah. And some of the things God, I went through some very dark trials. Um, but I wouldn't replace them for anything because those are the things that really make you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sometimes God has to break a person so that he can get to where he can operate. Right. Because we as human beings are are trained from a very early age to put a front out there, a facade, you know. Right. Um and God sees all that. God is not ashamed. God sees all the junk that's on the inside, but yeah. that's that's not gonna that doesn't stop him from loving us. Right. And it's not gonna stop him from processing you. So the more that you make yourself available, you will you this is ironic because I'm preaching some on some things tonight, but I believe that these deeper issues um, that people deal with like maybe they were abused or sexually molested or um, some kind of hideous situation, very dark, that spirits have taken advantage of in a human life. The more that you make yourself available through brokenness, the deeper the processes of God will go. Wow, that's good. And it's all paved by true repentance. Repentance to the depth that you repent. Well, I repented, you know, before I got the Holy Ghost, but it was like, God, forgive me for robbing from my grandma. And, right. You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I remember one time I went out there to look at my car and I was coming from the bar at two thirty in the morning and I got a flat tire on the interstate. It was my left front tire. I drove that car another five miles with sparks flying by because I was just driving on the rim. Yeah. The next day when I went out there to look at that car, the rim had gone from about 12 inches across to the size of a soup can. And I needed I needed to have somebody come out with a blowtorch and get that thing off there. But my point is, is that Crazy behavior oftentimes is a result of crazy things that we're holding on the deep inside of us. And the more that we, the deeper that we're willing to let God show us things that we, repentance at one point is progressive. Where I repent for everything I know. God, I told a lie, did this, did this. Um, And I'm not saying that this is what an experience, I'm talking about what I did when I first came to God. But after I got the Holy Ghost, God was able to show me things 
my motives, my thoughts, so my repentance can operate on a deeper level. Right. And the, the more I allowed God to operate on a deeper level, the greater the deliverance. This is why I believe that we cannot allow people to just have like a little one-night deal where, okay, this guy got the Holy Ghost. A deep repentance guarantees a deeper experience with the Holy Ghost. Repentance paves the way yeah. for the infilling of the Spirit of God. I, I genuinely believe that. Yeah. Now, you say 87, God called you. You kept praying. When was the next time that you talk to Bishop and Brother Wilson and say, or, or how did it work out to yeah. where you yeah. were? Well, I became, at some point, um, I became the very first outreach director of the Rock Church. I taught Bible studies, worked with people. Um, and Brother Wilson and I had talked here and there about, you know, Brother Wilson, I really feel something. He said, you know what, I really do too. And just, just keep growing and just keep giving yourself to God. In um, in 1990, 1990, um, this is seven years after I walked in the Rock Church. Brother Wilson, on a Wednesday night Bible study, just before he even got into his Bible study, he said, Brother Rick Mayo, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. He said, you're supposed to start evangelizing. And so, um, bought a truck, bought a trailer, everything was secondhand, uh, but we didn't care, man, we loved it. My wife and I remodeled that trailer. Man, I got a, I got a spare tire before I even got past Lodi. <laughs> um, but we loved it. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was seven years wow. after I got saved that God called me to be an evangelist. Now, while I evangelized, um, after that in 1990, it was exactly one year before I actually left Sacramento. I actually got a job as a painter Yeah. right after I got saved, and I was moving drop claws and moving ladders. God spoke to me and said, get a job. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't have to wait on your pastor. You gotta just know, go out and do something. Right. You know? Um, because there's a lot of the spiritual principles that you can get from having a boss and having to show up on time and having to look presentable and having to do a good job that are really going to help your pastor out. So I got a job just, and in four years, I became a licensed contractor, a licensed painting contractor in Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. And so when that happened in 1990, I had, I already had contracts that needed to be fulfilled that had to be, um, completely buttoned up before I could leave. So it was one year after Brother Wilson said that we started working in that direction. And in September, September of 91, I started evangelizing. And so let's fast forward to then from 91, you evangelize three years, three years. And now take us to that scenario of where you went to Spokane and how that all evolved. Yeah. Uh, I was on the field as a full-time evangelist, and um, both my wife and I felt like God had spoke to us and said to go to Spokane. Um, 
I'd never been there in my life. I did not know one person there. Right. And my wife kept a prayer journal, and she wrote down in her prayer journal, journal, I, I feel like God is taking us, leading us to Spokane. Well, I wrote it in a letter, put it in an envelope, and mailed it to myself so I'd have a, a date, be date, you know, time stamped. And so one day I told my wife, I said, honey, I really feel like God is telling us we need to go to Spokane. She said, God already told me. Wow. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, so in um, May of 1994, we arrived in Spokane, Washington with my fifth wheel trailer and my truck. And my, my son was three and my daughter was one. And we um, leased, yeah, we leased a 700 square foot office suite. And Cornerstone Pentecostal Church was now open for business in wow. May of 1994. May of 1994. Yeah. Look at what God's done. Yeah. And it's how amazing. Many, how, many, uh, how many members did you have at that point when you opened? Nobody. There's four of us. Our very first service, I'm glad you asked about that because this is kind of interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, when we walked into our very first service, there was 35 people in that room. We only had 25 chairs. And so we were scrounging because there was a bunch of people. What happened was there was a family in the Rock Church that had a relative that lived in Spokane that was dying of emphysema. He was... He was on the seventh floor of the hospital, and they would not let him live because he was terminally ill. So he signed special paperwork to, they said, okay, you go and leave, but you're, you know, you're taking your life in your own hands and all that. And he was there, and his entire family that would lived in that part of the world was there in that room on our very first service. His name was Don Stinson, just skinny, frail guy, um, I'm going to say around 50. Um, well, in that very first service, God healed him of emphysema and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. Wow, thank you. Okay, so the guy that was terminally ill walks out of that hospital three or four days later yeah. and we end up baptizing I don't know. I, it was so long ago, I'm, but I think it would be conservative to say we baptized at least 15 of them, wow. maybe more. And these were his family members. Yeah, they were his family members. <laughs> and they all got the Holy Ghost. And every single week we were giving Bible studies to them, and giving Bible studies, and giving Bible studies. And so it was like, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, we're like immediately having revival. Right. Well, after two or three weeks, I found out that I thought he was married and he was actually living with his girlfriend and when I found out about that um, I had a little talk with him now this is the guy that God's healed him 100 checked out from the hospital 100% healed and he's saved he's filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues I baptized him the very next day by the way in a whirlpool on the 7th floor of that hospital so I talked to him, I said, I said, Brother Don, um, you and I both know what God has done for you. And the Bible, you know, 
is very clear that you need to be married. You know, I know you guys are living together and all this, and, you know, that's against the Word of God. He said, Pastor, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going to, you know, talk to Gina about this. We need to make things make things right. Well, another week passed, and then another week passed. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in full-time ministry. He wasn't being tested. The pastor was being tested. Right. And I had to go to him and say, Don, you know I love you and I love your family. What God's done with your family is just mind-boggling. But you really, you really need to let me marry. He said, Pastor, um, Gina won't do it because she's afraid she's going to you know, lose Social Security. And I said, Social Security? I said, I said you're healed. Yeah. You're saved. Look what God's done with your family members. It's just been amazing. He said, Pastor, I, I can't change her. You, you do whatever you have to do, Pastor. I love you. Do whatever you have to do. But she won't budge. It was the hardest thing I've ever done as full-time minister. Yeah. But I knew I was making a stand for the kingdom. I said, Don, I said, I love you, but you're going to have to find another church because at this point you're resisting obedience to the word of God. So the room that was so vibrant and packed and full of zeal and excitement began to slowly drain of all of its occupants until we went back to it was just me and my wife and a couple other people had started coming. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so then take us back then obviously you just kept on trucking as they say. And what year was that? I mean, what well, was that was year? our that was in nineteen ninety four. That was our very first year there. Right, right. And how long did it take you to, you know, as far as uh, we just we just kept growing, just kept going. Yeah, yeah. And I believe, and I hope the listeners will understand that I believe we grow, we we grew, growed. <laughs> I believe we grew because I took that stand. Amen. I think there's a lot of young pastors that fear. That if they if they take God's side, that they're going to kill the revival. No, God's testing you. God is going to test His man from some, from time to time. Right. And you have to take God's side. But we we started growing. We kept growing, and I we outgrew that building. In oh goodness, I want to say a year, yeah. nine months wow. to a year, and I went full time. I went full time in less than a year. Now we were That's we were poor we were poorer than Job's turkey, <laughs> but we were full time, which is what I which is what I wanted to do, right. and um, yeah. So you've got to take God's side, yeah. and though and I ended up I ended up officiating four of those people's burials, wow, their funerals that had been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost that left our church. It was, I really, I really did realize that we were in uncharted waters. You know, a lot of people, they, I, I think we take for granted that 
there's been an apostolic somewhere in that region that had paid the price and died in the faith. Right. And they, they were able to push back the forces of darkness and establish um, a reference point for the next person. But we were in an area I felt like we're breaking new ground. We were sodbusters. Right. You know, we were pioneers. Absolutely. And it was, there's some, there's some supernatural things that take place. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And, but I wouldn't trade any anything for it because it was God. Amen. You know? Amen. It was exciting. Yeah. We were just as excited then. You know, my wife is, she has never complained she never, no, she just did what she was raised to do. She just prayed and fasted. And um, we were just as excited when we got there in May of 94 that we are today, five buildings later in a multi-million dollar complex. Yeah. And we just, we're just excited to be in the will of God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, sir. So um, through that time, what... Uh what scriptures or what you know portions of the Bible have have helped you get through those hard trials? And oh my goodness, oh my goodness, many a scripture. All things work together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. Um, Philippians one and six. He which has begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. There were some times where God actually spoke to me. The Rhema, not the Logos, but there were there were other times where God directly spoke to me, and I will never forget. There was one year where I never was able to get a Bible study or baptize one person one entire year. Wow. It was just like the devil what the devil tries to do to home missionaries is he tries to starve you out. He tries to shut you out. <clears throat> and he tries to get you to think nobody wants this. He wants you to think that nobody cares. He wants you to think that you're, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Okay. I went, we were in our second building, and I went to the church early to pray. Um, and I'm not going to say I was frustrated, but I was a little, I was just a little down. Okay. After a year, I was used to giving Bible studies. I love to give Bible studies. And the Spirit of God spoke to me that morning and said, if I can do this in Durham, North Carolina, you can do it here. If I can do it in Modesto, California, I can do it here. If I can do it in Sacramento, California, which is my home church, God was using the reference points that I had of churches and men of God that I highly esteemed that had broken through. And he was using that as an example and an encouragement to me personally. It wasn't long after that that we got a call that there was a Filipino man that was a postal carrier that had a pen pal that was an apostolic girl in the Philippine Islands that was telling him, you have to find an apostolic church. So I got a call from the United Pentecostal Church headquarters that said there is a Filipino man. So what broke it for us, we had a multicultural revival, is what broke that wall for us. Right. And I gave him a Bible study, baptized him in Jesus' name. 
flew over to the Philippines with him, married him with his pen pal. They're now in our church. Their son, two years ago, was the national Bible quizzing champion in the entire United North America for the WPF and is now writing the syllabus for the for the Bible quizzing. That's that God. Incredible. Ain't nothing but God. Wow. So hang on. Amen. Their souls attach. Whoever you draw the point and say, I just can't take it anymore, there are souls that you're potentially forfeiting. And I know that's negative. It's haunting. You and I can't escape that. We have a responsibility. But you've got to understand that greater is he that is in you that is he that is in the world. But you've got to take a stand. You are the tip of the spear. And there are forces of darkness that will do every. They will mess with your mind. They will attack your body. They will attack people you love. They will use people that don't even know what they're doing. They will use those people against you. Um, you have to have a comprehension that you are penetrating the darkness for the kingdom, and that you have you are indestructible until God is done with you. You are indestructible until God is through with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this has been awesome. Do you have anything to add to us to say? I mean, Brother Mayo, it's like when I hear your testimony and a lot like mine, I look at God has saved us from a mighty long way. And I look at what he's done, what he's going to do, and it, it's it's amazing to me. Yeah. Because I look at it now and you say you had no people. He took you to no people and then all of a sudden it's a revival church. Yes, sir. And I look at where I'm at and Brother Young saved me and my wife from a mighty long way. Yeah. But you look at that and you say there's only three of us from the original church yeah. that are left over. And here comes Pastor Bertram and says... Hey, we're going to pray at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm looking at this joker going, I don't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning for nobody. But if I never missed a prayer meeting, and I tell him, I say, that's where Holy Ghost Radio came out of. Yeah. A prayer meeting. Yeah. So I look at your testimony, yeah. and I, I'm just, I, I look at this world, and I say, there's a lot of Brother Mayos out there, and there's a lot of Brother Hoffers out there that need God. Yes. You know, I think that I think that if you will continue to build on the very principles that brought you to where you are and be true to those principles, then I think that you'll continue to have the same results on a greater measure. And I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls and a lot of temptations when people become successful because let's face it uh my testimony uh and your testimony is like rags to riches yeah you know it's like zero to you know and so my reference point i didn't have a reference point for success right i never owned a good car right i never lived in a nice home i never sat in a, in a cushioned nice easy chair i never was ever able to to have nice things and and, and enjoy those kinds of things. So you have to be careful and make sure that your consecration and your dedication continues Amen. that's built on those 
those hard scrabble years where you got those principles yeah. and you got that original word from God and not let those other things in life um, cause you to lose that. Amen. Because we could have, you know, we could have stopped at any one of those, the last three buildings. Yeah. And been okay. I mean, our when we left our third building, we, we were running about 250. Yeah. And when, we, when I moved into that building, we had 65. Wow. And, and then, of course, when we moved into the next one, you know, we were somewhere between that four and five hundred mark. Yeah. And then COVID came and blessed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to tell you, you know, it's been a real challenge because I really, in some ways, we're still recovering from COVID. Not, not the church. Right. But I think our culture is. Our momentum is still there. The drive is still there. The glory is still there. The promises are still there. But I think that... Um, I think the devil has tried to form a real wedge with people finding their place and finding their way to the kingdom of God. So we just got to work a little harder. Yeah. yeah. And we're yeah. willing to do that. Yeah. In Jesus' name. And the harvest is white. Oh. Yeah. Ready to harvest. That's right. <laughs> you know, I do have one more uh, question. Um, I like to end off the podcast. Um, it doesn't matter who I interview. Um, but for all the listeners out there, podcast name is visually prepared podcast um so how can we as listeners or just anybody in the kingdom of god stay visually prepared or in other words how can we stay focused um in the kingdom of god you just you just can't replace prayer um you know prayer is is the great adjuster it's where we renew our minds and now we can you know, know the will of God, you know, by renewing our minds. So you just, I think that living for God is, is, when I use the word elementary, I don't mean that it's elementary in the sense that, um, that we should dismiss it in favor of trying to be something else. It's, it's very elementary. It's very basic. It's very rudimentary. Okay. It's praying, it's being consecrated, it's being dedicated, and it's keeping your relationship with God where it needs to be. Okay? That's at the nucleus. Then there's other things. And I really think that, um, and I really kind of came to this recently, um, I really feel at some point, if we're going to continue to have and experience the revival that God has for us, we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about what the medium of social media. Um, and I realize I'm on Holy Ghost Radio, but but this is the positive part that needs to be protected. There is such a time consumer and a time waster that comes with having a smartphone and not being disciplined. Uh, uh, an undisciplined person with a smartphone um, is a very dangerous combination. Whereas maybe 25, 30 years ago, that same person may 
pick up their Bible and read it a little bit more or maybe communicate on the telephone with brothers and sisters or maybe get involved with something in the church. It's just, it's just another deal. And I'm not putting all the blame on that. But what I am saying is this, that if prayer is not at the center, the flesh, you know, it tries to, it tries to negotiate all that stuff. Like I'm not really as bad as I think. I can tell the difference when I approach my cell phone after praying yeah. versus approaching my cell phone yeah. having not prayed. So I just want to leave your good listeners and um, thank you for the opportunity to be here with you guys. Love you. And, of course, my appreciation for Brother Jeff Hoffer is bigger than one of the balloons at the Thanksgiving parade. <laughs> um, just love these folks to bits and pieces. But find out who you are in God as quickly as possible. Um, there's an identity crisis. And people, especially young people, are still, there's a great, a great value in, in settling that as quickly as possible after you're saved. A lot of the things I think we're seeing in this world in terms of we need counselors and celebrate recovery and all this, I think that this is a byproduct of people not attaching themselves to their the identity that's given to them in the new birth as quickly as possible. And so that would be my thing. Find out who you are in God and go with it. Put the pedal to the metal. In your face, devil. <laughs> Good. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, this will conclude the this episode of the Visually Prepared and Holy Ghost Radio podcast. It has been uh, an excellent one. And I uh, appreciate you for coming on here, uh, Brother Mayo. And uh, it's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless you.